So as you turn to Acts chapter 3, I want to tell you about this great little TV show called The Office. And if you don't know anything about The Office, then here's what you need to know. It is a fictional documentary, or a mockumentary, so to speak, a series about life in the office of a mid-sized paper supply company called Dunder Mifflin. You have Michael Scott, who is the, uh, as a boss, he leaves much desired, but he is hilarious to watch. You have Jim Halpert, who is uh, kind of the goofy prankster of the show. He's kind of the athletic, the good-looking one, so to speak, who falls in love with the office secretary. Her name is Pam. You have Kevin Malone, who is this goofy and lovable man. You have Stanley, who is not afraid to tell you what he thinks. He's quite sarcastic at times. Uh, you have Phyllis, you have Creed, you have Ryan and Kelly and Angela and Oscar and all the likes. But then above all others, you have what is my, or who is my favorite character in the office, Dwight K. Schrute. And if you know Dwight, he's played by Rain Wilson. Dwight is the office nerd who has aspirations of being in charge. He takes his job very seriously. He's loyal. He's a protector. He has multitudes of weapons hidden around the office just in case he ever needs to come to her defense in the event of an alien invasion, right? And Dwight, because of his nature, just tends to be the target of all of Jim Halpert's practical jokes. See, Jim is a jokester. Dwight is the one who gets to be uh, the rear end of those jokes, so to speak. Well, there's this one particular prank that Jim plays on Dwight. See, what you need to know in order to understand what I'm trying to get at is Dwight is the one, he's got short brown hair, he wears his hair parted in the middle, he has wired glasses, he wears these ugly yellow mustard colored shirts, and he loves bobbleheads, he loves superheroes, he loves all sorts of things. He is a beet farmer and he is all about some Battlestar Galactica as well as he has a thing about bears as well. Well, one day Jim shows up dressed like Dwight. And I just want to read to you the transcript. Jim comes in, he's dressed as Dwight, he sits down, he goes, hmm, it's kind of blurry. He pulls out these wiry glasses and he puts them on. He goes, that's better. And he takes a breath. He goes, question, what kind of bear is best? Now Dwight sits across from him in the cubicle and Dwight says, that's a ridiculous question. Jim says, false, black bear. Dwight says, well, that's debatable. There are basically two schools of thought. Jim, fact. Bears eat beets. Bears, beets, Battlestar Galactica. Dwight says, bears do not, what is going on? What are you doing? And there's a scene where it pans over to Jim explaining the joke and how much he got the outfit for and all that good stuff. And it pans back to them at their office, their desk. And Dwight says, you know what? Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So I thank you. And at that moment, Jim pulls out a bobblehead and places it on his desk in front of Dwight. To which Dwight says, identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. To which Jim, in very Dwight-esque fashion, pauses, turns and goes, Michael! And he gets up and runs to Michael's office. And Dwight goes, oh, that's Michael! And he goes running after Jim, both those guys going to talk to Michael about what has happened. Y'all, this, this scene is hilarious to watch, and there are two chords that it strikes upon for our sermon today. Uh, the first chord is the alliteration of the bees, bears, beats, Battlestar Galactica. You're going to notice a similarity with each of our sermon points this morning. 
uh, but also in a, in a much more serious connection to our sermon today, we are going to see Peter and John do something while they are on their way to the temple in Jerusalem that we see Jesus do throughout the Gospels. They're going to see perform a miraculous healing. And what we are going to see is how Jesus' authority and His presence is now with His followers, these apostles, and how these apostles are going to start performing a lot of the same miracles that Jesus did. You'll see what I mean as we dive into the text this morning. So let's read together Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, going to verse 16. The words will be on the screen to my sides. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Verse 8, And leaping up he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Verse 14, But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are, we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Wow. The first thing we notice in today's text sets up the setting for what happens in the narrative We'll call this point the beseeching hour. The beseeching hour. And I know that's not typical language we use nowadays, but I liked it for the alliteration of, so just bears, beats, and Battlestar Galactica with me, okay? Verse 1 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Some of your translations may note that this is 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, this would be about the time that the evening sacrifices are offered and this is where all the faithful Israelites are going to be at during this time of day. And so you can imagine that uh, Peter and John were not alone in walking up to the temple. There is a whole 
crowd of people. There's a gaggle of them, boatloads of them, coming up to the temple for the hour of prayer. And I've got a little bit of a hot take opinion on this setup, you see. I don't think Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. Uh, it makes little sense to me for the followers of Jesus to go up to the temple for prayer while the evening sacrifices were being offered since A, Jesus sacrificed Himself once and for all, negating the need for continual sacrifices, and B, the presence of God being available to all believers in Christ through the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit. There was no need for Peter and John to go to the temple to pray. The presence of God was no longer in the temple. The presence of God was in the believers. And we see in Acts 2, by the way, the believers have been praying together continually in the upper room. They weren't at the temple. So my humble, hot take opinion on this is then they weren't going up to pray. They were going up to preach. They had the good news of Jesus Christ, the perfect once-for-all sacrifice, and they had a mission to proclaim it. So where do they go? Where everyone who wants to worship God goes at 3 p.m. in Jerusalem, the temple. Later in Acts, we see the strategy adopted by Paul as he goes to various cities to share the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. He's always going to pop in where there are Jews worshiping at the synagogue. And in the other cases, when there are not enough Jewish men in the city to form a synagogue, he's going to go where Jews are, which is the river outside of the city walls. This is something, so we see Peter, uh, Paul do this, which points to something a little bit further. Peter and John are not going up to the temple to pray, and if they're going up there to preach, then what about this miracle that happens is relevant to them preaching? The miraculous healing we see here is not happenstance or coincidental, y'all. It is intentional. The stage is being set for a big, bold gospel proclamation to all who adhered in the temple that day. All of this taking place during the hour of prayer, or as I called it, the beseeching hour. The second thing we see in the text is the broken man. The broken man. We're told in verses 2 and 3, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those who are entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So here we are introduced to this, this man, the narrative. He is the lame man. And kids, lame does not necessarily mean back then what it means today. Uh, when we hear the word lame, sometimes we think uh, uncool, uh, not, not very you know, popular, whatever the case may be. This is not the, the way the word uh, lame means in the text and the scriptures. A lame person is someone who doesn't have use of their legs. They cannot walk. So this lame man, he is physically broken. We see that he's carried every day to the beautiful gate where he would beg for alms. He wouldn't be allowed inside the temple because of his uh, deformity. It meant that he was a sinner or his parents were sinners and he was, uh, his deformity was a result of their sin. And so every day at the 3 p.m. hour for the time of prayer, this man would be carried to the entrance of the temple or the beautiful gate where he would have to lay there and beg for alms. Forever forbidden from entering into the temple to worship the Lord. Forced for all of his days to lay there at the beautiful gate, counting on the generosity of the temple goers for his daily provision. A man who is not only broken physically, but also spiritually. A man without hope. A man 
with no future, a man who by all intents and purposes was forbidden from worshiping the living God because he was lame. But God is not going to leave him in his condition. He's not going to leave him in his brokenness. The good news for the lame man is that God is about to do something utterly beautiful in his life, which brings us to our next point, the beautiful gift. The beautiful gift. Verses 4 through 7 says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. What a precious thing to behold in the text. This lame man who was expecting no more than a few alms from Peter and John received something he was totally not expecting. Something far more valuable. Something he needed much more than silver or gold. He received his legs. He was no longer the broken, lame man. Now, in the broad daylight, right outside the gate to the temple, this man is made whole. If, if I may, allow me to step away from the intimacy of the text for a moment, and let's look at the broader scope together. The end of chapter 2, we see the church flourishing and growing in faith and in community together. Acts 2.43 says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Luke, who is the author of Acts, is now giving evidence to the many wonders and signs that are being accomplished. And he begins with Peter and John in their journey to the temple. Jesus said in John 14, 12, by the way, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And what are some of the things that Jesus did? He healed the lame. Luke chapter 5 Mark chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 9 record the same instance of a paralyzed man being brought to Jesus. And I want to read the Mark 2 passage for us. He wrote, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This is being Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned him, uh, questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So this passage where Jesus heals the paralytic man sounds familiar, doesn't it? What's even more interesting is that the obvious compassion of Christ is not even the main point of such passages. The main point is Jesus' divine authority to forgive sins and to restore broken bodies back to wholeness. Which brings us back to Acts chapter 3. The main point of the passage is not Peter and John's compassion for the broken man. And y'all, there is nothing wrong with being compassionate. Man, there, there is a great ministry for there, for, for the compassion of the saints towards lost, towards sinners. But that's not the point of Acts 3. The point of Acts 3 is the demonstration of God's power and His presence within the apostles. More so, what stands out the most is that this miraculous healing has taken place not inside the walls of the temple where the Jews believe the presence of God is, but it takes place outside the walls by the name of Jesus Christ. These people, by faith in Christ, have a restored and renewed relationship with God. Y'all, what's really important about what's happening with the lame dude is not that his legs are restored, it's that his soul is restored, his sins are forgiven, and he can now worship God because Jesus Christ has brought him in. He is brought into the family. And he now, he now has this bold access to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And y'all, it's the same for me and for you. It's the same for any who would believe in the name of Jesus Christ. We are restored to right relationship with God. We are no longer slaves to our sins, but we now have life and freedom in Christ. We have bold access to God by faith. Hebrews chapter 4 uh, verse 16 makes reference to the manner in which we can approach the throne of God since Jesus Christ is the one who has brought us into the family. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Y'all, isn't the gospel beautiful? This lame man at the beautiful gate received it and was made whole in the most important ways and is the same for us today. Let's see, let's continue our journey through the text. Next we see in the text, verse 8, the bounding believer. I know my alliteration fans, y'all are loving this right now, right? The bounding believer, verse 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Here's what we need to know. The dude now has access his life has been changed, and it's obvious. You can tell it. It's no secret. Imagine him feeling the strength of his legs for the first time. Imagine him rejoicing in the depth of his forgiven soul. Imagine the thrill of being able to walk freely into the temple where he's been shut out for all of his days. But once again, what is the point of his restoration? What is the point of him being given his legs? It is not merely for the sake of making him a well-balanced citizen in Jerusalem so that charity and generosity are not being poured into him, but he can work on his own now. No, it is not merely for the sake of making him physically whole again that his legs are restored. 
His restoration, as we will see in just a moment, is going to set the stage for the gospel to be presented. His life, His restoration, His redemption is for God's glory. So is mine, so is yours. We have been given this beautiful gift, not that we would take it and keep it to ourselves, but that we would go and share it with others. And so let's see what happens next. The bewildered crowd, verses 9 through 11. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. The man's healing is drawing the people together. They hear the sounds of his joy. He's coming into the temple on fire for the Lord. The Jews who are gathering have their attention grabbed. There is bewilderment. There is astonishment. There is amazement. Look and see what has happened to this lame man who was just this morning or just this afternoon was outside the gate begging for his provisions. And, and you have to know that a whole bunch of them had just walked past this guy moments earlier. They heard him begging for alms. And now this lame man has been made whole and he's going into the temple with them. They're shocked, shooketh even. And Peter and John now have a captive audience to proclaim the gospel to. Y'all, God knows what he's doing. He doesn't operate on our clock. He operates on his. He doesn't operate for our glory, although Romans 8.28 says he operates for the good of his people in all things. But he operates for his glory. You have to imagine that the lame man had been at the gate when Jesus had come walking by into the temple himself. Right? If he's been there all his days, then surely Jesus would have walked by this man at some point in his ministry, in his life. So why didn't Jesus heal him while he was still uh, during his earthly ministry? It's because this guy's healing will be used to demonstrate that Jesus' divine power is at work in the apostles. The story of God's redemption plan for humanity is being carried forward. Jesus drew crowds with his miracles. He demonstrated over and over in his earthly ministry that he is God. Made quite a few Jews mad, by the way. And now we are seeing the continuation of that within the apostles. They are his hands and his feet set aside for good works to make Jesus known wherever they go. And boy, oh boy, have they got a crowd to preach to right here in the temple. Our final point this morning, the bold message. The bold message. Verses 12 through 16 says, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release Him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man, 
this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, this is not where Peter's message ends. There are actually 10 more verses that record Peter's sermon in the temple. And we'll get to the rest of those next week. So I encourage you to be here for it. You got to see how it ends, y'all. But what do we see here? What do we see here? Peter, firstly, points the glory to where it belongs. Y'all, it's not Peter or John's glory that is to be had here. It's not about them. They're servants. They're messengers. They're ambassadors. They're not the master. They're not the king. They're not the one who gets the glory and the praise. They are nobody. It's all about Jesus. They point it all back to the risen Christ. And notice that he doesn't mince words with them regarding their guilt either. Let's just imagine for a moment just how shocking this is to the average Jew who's in the temple that day. You attend the temple twice daily. You adhere to the rituals of Judaism. You offer all the right offerings. You obey the scriptures that you have memorized as a child. You know the stories. And who is it that has orchestrated these things that are now happening inside the temple? Peter uses the phrase, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, to point to who this all originates with. Y'all, that is a phrase that every single Jew would say, yes, that God is my God. Y'all, look what their God is doing. Look what your God is doing. Jesus is the one whom he has glorified. Jesus is the Messiah. And Peter assigns the guilt where it belongs. He says to them, you killed him. Now, to our... uh, modern ears here in the great state of Mississippi, so far removed from Jerusalem and from Israel, this may, this may not cross us as a big deal. Well, Peter's just telling them what's what. Peter is putting his life at risk by making sure they know where they land in the midst of this redemption story. These are not the people who are just innocent bystanders. No, he says to them, You are the one who killed the author of life. You chose a murderer over him. And by the way, Peter is going to uh, have an interesting interaction with a couple of really high up there religious Pharisees and Sadducees and all the other E's uh, there in the temple in the next chapter. We get to see that in a couple of weeks. But y'all notice his boldness here. He tells them like it is. They killed the author of life. God raised him from the dead. God's power is with him, and he is with his people. These weird followers of Jesus. Yeah, he's with those people. And you want to see the evidence? Look at the lame dude who is, who is now walking and leaping and praising and running for God's glory. And it's all at the hands of Jesus. You know, I, I do believe that every person who believes and Jesus Christ will be restored to wholeness again, both physically and spiritually. A a lot of times we don't get that physical wholeness this side of heaven, but we are given all that we need for spiritual restoration. It is because Jesus Christ went to the cross that we can have the forgiveness of our sins. Sin, our guilt, has severed the connection. It made us guilty. And Jesus Christ, His blood shed upon the cross, brings the restoration. And He calls us to repentance. He calls us to faith. 
We turn away from our sin. We turn away from our old manner of life, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 4, and we turn to Jesus. We turn to the risen Christ. So if I may offer just a simple recap of what we've seen here this morning as we get, as we get ready to have our invitation, the same power that was at work within Jesus during His earthly ministry is now at work among His apostles. They are performing the same miracles. They are drawing crowds. And y'all, you notice in the, uh, the Mark 2 text, Jesus is preaching the words to those people. It's not come and be fed and be happy and go about your business. He's bringing them in. He's preaching the, the word to them. The very first words that we have Jesus preaching is repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. Even Jesus preached repentance. I shouldn't say even Jesus. He preached repentance. And it's the same with us today. Let me go back to the apostles. They're preaching the repentance of sin and faith in Christ, just like their Messiah, just like their Master. And we, like the lame man, were once cut off from God because of our sin, spiritually lame, so to speak, although it's more accurate to say spiritually dead. And at the right time, Jesus Christ has brought us in. Through faith in Him, our sins are forgiven. Our souls are made whole. And we can be like that lame dude just outside the beautiful gate. Our lives changed for the better. Now we can rejoice and be used by God to make Him known. As a, as a side thought, I don't think we're ever even told this guy's name in the Bible. We just know him as the lame guy outside the beautiful gate. We don't know his name today. And it may be that a hundred years from now, there's not a single person who remembers your name. But you know who not only knows your name, but gives you a new name? You know who not only gives you a new name, but knows you and still loves you? Jesus Christ. And he, and he isn't calling you to be known by all the, the world. He's calling you to Himself. He's calling you to His mercy, to His redemption, to His grace, and for His glory. And it's not just for now while you breathe here on the earth. It's for all eternity. So this morning we're going to have a, a time of response. Christian and Ridge are going to come back up here and they're going to lead us in, a, in another song. And y'all, if something I said this morning, something I preached this morning has struck a chord with you, and you would like to ask questions or you want to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ or you need some, some prayer in your life, then there will be a couple of guys in the back here by these doors. During the time for the song, would you just come and take us by the hand, grab us by the shoulder, put us in a headlock and talk to us for a second? Let us pray with you. Let us, let us share the gospel with, us, with you. Y'all, because our, our heartbeat here at Harvest is to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And we don't want anybody walking out that front door without being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And today's the day for you that that all can change. You can repent of your sin. You can trust in Christ, perhaps for the first time, and become a follower of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the cross which Jesus had died, the perfect sacrifice the blood shed for our sins.
Lord, in this place today, would you work in our hearts to bring us near to you? Lord, would you, would you redeem sinners' hearts and souls this morning? Would you bring the spiritually dead to life? And Lord, would you, just as a result of all these things, be honored and glorified? Lord, this isn't about us. This is not about the person behind the pulpit. It's not about the person in the seat. It's about you. This is for your glory, for your honor. So Father, would you, would you maybe that's where we need the reorientation this morning. Away from ourselves, away from ourself, and for you and for your glory, for your honor. Our life is not our own. We have been bought with the price of Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to live that out. Help us to live that out by the power of your Spirit. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Who we proclaim is not, has not only been crucified on our behalf, but has risen from the dead and is one day coming back again. It's to him we give all glory, all honor, all praise. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.